This is the Quip and Quill podcast. I'm your host, Devin Rue, professional fantasy cartographer and illustrator. I'm Rafael Bocamazzo, better known as Dr. B for long Italian name reasons. And I am a clinical psychologist in Washington State. I am the clinical director at what was, what is the first and what was at the time the only mental health nonprofit in the game industry. Uh, take this at takethis.org. And we, I'm happy to say we're not the only game in town anymore, but we are the, the oldest. And I have been there for almost eight years of its uh, 10 year lifespan. Uh, outside of that, I have a, a very quickly growing private practice in the Seattle area called Safe Point Behavioral Health, uh, where we, we specialize in working with geeks and gamers. I now have a number of folks working for me to the point that I actually am uh, going away from seeing, doing direct clinical work on a regular basis. I'm now just you know off being a CEO, which I did not expect. Uh, beyond that, I am a frequent consultant on uh, both mental health representation and a lot and policy issues in the game industry, both on the tabletop RPG side and the video game side of the world, and uh, consultant, uh, and a frequent collaborator on the YouTube channel How to ADHD. I'm often behind the camera directing Jessica. Oh gosh, what else do I, I do? A lot of weird stuff. Right, I'm an author every now and then. We're, I'm currently working on a, a book uh, at the intersection of the psychology of Discworld and mental health for ETC Press. Uh, I, I have the, I, basically I do a lot of stuff. Uh, the the running gag is I'm around, and I have uh, probably the coolest, weirdest job of anybody I trained with. Yeah, and it's even it's even better when you think of the fact that I started as training as a prison psychologist, and I thought I was going to end up working in the prison system exclusively, and then boy did my career take a left turn. Tell us about this left turn. How on <laughs> earth did you get to this part? Well, uh, okay, Point? so yeah, um, one of the things that really informs a lot of the the advocacy and education, and even a lot of the the consultation work that I do, is the fact that I'm very publicly both autistic and ADHD. Uh, and my ADHD makes me look at the world a certain way, but it also is a disability that <laughs> really gets in my way periodically. And um, my career path is both the result and the victim of my undiagnosed ADHD at the time. Mm -hmm. I interviewed for, this was after my final internship, and I, I liked working at that prison. I loved working with the guys at the prison, the staff pissed me off on a regular basis because a lot of them were just there were, a lot of them it's a government stereotype but it seemed to be true in a lot of cases that uh the people who were really really good at their job very quickly got hired in the private sector at higher paying rates and so a lot of the folks that were left over were there and just complacent it was a union shop and right. they were just complacent about getting a paycheck and so the the subsequently the guys i worked with they really like they wanted help um and I enjoyed working with them, but God, the staff. Uh, uh. But um, after my internship was over and uh, my all my training was over, I applied for a job at the prison. And there I was on the opposite side of the interview table that I was on six months prior interviewing new students to come into to the position. And across from me were five people, four of whom I was on a first name basis with, and I'd known for years, one of whom I'd never met before. And 
The first question on the list of questions that they laid out in front of me, which was a lovely accommodation they made for everybody, no surprise questions, the questions were just boom, right there in front of you. Right. The first question was, tell us about your training. And I was so perplexed by this because I just looked at all of them and the 80% of them that I knew and I said, my training was you. <laughs> and they, <laughs> my former my former uh, training director, uh, my former training director kind of took me aside and said, okay, pretend you don't know us. But, and here's where my, my autism really comes into play because my autism went undetected for so long because it turns out that I have a real gift for pattern recognition mm. and mimicry. And so I got so I've gotten really good at social scripts over the years. But if you put me in a situation where I don't know the scripts, I, it's a new situation. I don't know what to do. The autism really comes out and I have this unfortunate habit I've gotten better, but I have this unfortunate habit of when I'm really anxious and I am really anxious a lot, but when I'm really, really anxious, I try and compensate by acting confidently. And if I ever, ever sound like an arrogant SOB, I am so anxious. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened at this interview. I just, I just tried to compensate so hard for how nervous I was that it turned into what one of my former supervisors lovingly called the Raphael show. And I did not get that job. <laughs> it was so comically bad. I did not get that job. And so I had to figure out an alternate path for myself. I, I set up a little private practice after that, and I was trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do with my career? And somebody I trained with was asked to run this mental health support room for this fledgling nonprofit called Take This mm -hmm. in 2014. It was the first AFK room at PAX West, then PAX Prime. And she said, it's a video game-based mental health nonprofit. Do you want to volunteer? And my response was, hell yes. How many shifts do you need? <laughs> and I volunteered every day in the AFK room in 2014. And then when 2015 came along, it was the same thing. I volunteered every day because I, have, I am a huge nerd. I am a huge gamer. I have been a huge gamer my entire flipping life. I still have the first 60 issues of Nintendo Power. The first issue is framed. Um, I am one of those assholes who has had certain video game cartridges graded and, you know, encased in Lucite um, because I found an amazing treasure at my mom's house about five years ago. She apparently bought me a second copy of NES Pinball from 1985 and forgot about it at the back of her closet until I found it still sealed. Oh, wow. And yeah, no, that th it's awesome. It was a 9.0 with a B-plus seal. Ah, uh, so, so excited. But anyway, yeah, so I volunteered for, for Take This uh, in 2014, 2015. At the end of 2015, uh, our first clinical director, my predecessor, Dr. Mark Klein, stepped back because he was managing a clinic in the, in the northeast of the U.S., and he knew he, you know, he had some kid. He had a kid going off to college, and he didn't have the time to devote to what take this needed. And so they said, "Hey, we like you. You've been around. You speak nerd. You speak shrink. Do you want the job as clinical director?" And I, I'm, I, I was floored 
but I said yes. I didn't know what I was doing, but I said yes, because when was I going to be offered an opportunity like this again? So I just rolled with it. And I have been with Take This uh, for nearly eight years since. It turned out to be my dream job. And I... I didn't know what was going to come of it. All I knew it was it was it was a small nonprofit. It was video games. It was mental health. I got to help my people, the video game community, the tabletop community, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Sign me up. Let's do this. And that just kind of launched it from there. Were you already playing tabletop games at the time, D and D specifically, or not D and D specifically, but role playing? Or did you get into it afterwards? Oh, no, no. Since I was a teenager. I have a, I have a friend. When we were teenagers, uh, you know, he used to have these big birthday parties where all of his all of our nerd friends would show up. And one year we got snowed in. Ended up being a three-day birthday party. And his parents were so cool about this mm-hmm. because none of us could leave. And he asked me, hey, do you want to play Star Wars? And I'm like, what are we for? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, no, 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 no. Hold up, hold up. No, no. This is this is a, t- a role playing game with dice and rules. And and he's like, you can, you know, you can be a roadie and you can be this and you can be a Jedi. I'm like, I can be a Jedi. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> oh yeah, you can be a Jedi. I can be a Jedi. You You're hundred percent sure. I can be a Jedi. Like, I, like I, I'm in. I'm amazed you even got that far after the inversional. I can be a Jedi. You just didn't bolt right for whatever I, room it was being played in. Yeah, well, and it was the old West End Games one. So th- there, there was just so many D sixes were utilized, and there were these. When, whenever right. I used a force point just right, and I could just I could roll a brick of D sixes <laughs> to the point that he was like, "Don't even bother counting it. You just single handedly destroyed a star destroyer." I'm like, "Yeah." Oh. <laughs> But that suck that, it, Luke. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's up? Oh, wait, no. That's the way. That's the path to the dark side. <laughs> um, but so that turned into that turned into D and D three point which turned into D and D three point five, yep. which later turned into fourth edition, for which I am an apologist. I think it had some lovely features. Uh, yes. I it was a lot easier to bring new people into fourth edition D and D than it was three point five, which was so crunchy. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, no, I kept playing role-playing games through through my adulthood, and eventually they became part of my career. Right. I'm going to state for the absolute record, please don't be in a an addition war person at all. Nah. There is great things about every edition that has ever come out. There are shitty things about all of them. If you love whatever edition you love, that is awesome. No hate to anyone else who likes something different than you. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And that was that was the other that was an interesting thing to first encounter once I started going to conventions because I didn't really have gatekeepery friends. They were just they were just like, okay, you're into this thing, cool. I'm- no, lucky you. <laughs> well, I I didn't I I kept it within some pretty small circles. Right. Um, I was not. Uh, again, undiagnosed autistic. I didn't understand why I was uncomfortable around strangers and crowds at the time. I learned right. later. Uh, well, I also I also started playing in the eighties, so uh, I mean, it's a whole other. It's a it. Yeah, yeah, it was a whole other atmosphere back then. So. Well, and also I'm a I'm a large white man. It, it's a very right. different playing experience for yes, me. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm 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 nearly six three, about two forty five. It's uh, I have a very big, deep voice, and uh, 
it's it's a different playing experience for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, and to make it worse for me, uh, uh, I was a very, you know, um, uh, I was a LARPer and I was, I, I have a shit ton of confidence. I act like I, I cannot possibly fail anything. So most of my friends never even remotely thought that I would be playing Dungeons and Dragons and and so when I would actually, when it would ever come up and someone would find out, it was like, yeah, okay, really? And I'm like, no, really, I I actually play the game. Like, what the fuck? You know, and I'm a huge, huge gamer. I've been playing, because <laughs> I'm old enough, since the original Nintendo. And, uh... Um, yeah. And, uh, so, you know, um... But yeah, back when girls don't game... I mean, we still get that now every once in a while, but... It was it was really really bad back then. Uh, so it it's I love I love that now I can look at the tabletop industry and or excuse me the tabletop community and it's vastly different. Yeah. You know, like I'm I'm yeah, I'm super proud of our community because the amount of comparatively um when I was a teenager and started playing the games, uh, to constantly have um, GMs take over my characters, um, tell me what my character is going to do, because I clearly couldn't understand how to play the game. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You know, if you have a vagina that affects your ability to understand how to read, I guess, or roll dice. Um, <laughs> well, the history of Western medicine certainly believes so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and uh, right. And your uh, characters only existed for someone else to save or romance, uh -huh. you know, and the, you know, the sad thing is like, or I should say the great thing is that I got introduced to the game by a bunch of adults. Um who uh, were both men and women in a, in playing a group they were in their 30s and 40s so my very first experience was like this was of course this is a game for everybody like i grown adults were fucking playing it so of course this is like the coolest fucking thing ever so it wasn't until like i started playing at conventions or at um local game stores that i was confronted with this oh uh... Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, so, okay. Now that I'm thinking about it, I actually kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, I put this at the back of my head. This is that I played magic in the very early days. Mm -hmm. um, not the earliest days, unfortunately. I came in r around revised and fallen empires. So my friends were the ones rocking the Power Nine and, you know, Arabian Nights and Legends and all of that good stuff that was just obscene. And me as a you know thirteen year old kid going into the game shops, where uh, adults who are were at the time the age I am now and had the kind of disposable income they did, just right. loved stomping on the thirteen year old kid with oh chaos orb, oop mocks everything, and it was so, it put me off so much. I don't yeah. think I played a game at uh, a gaming store for like twenty years after. Right. I mean, I'm I'm happy because it it got me together 
Playing the conventions and game stores got me the group that I'm with now that I've been playing mm -hmm. with for over 20 years. That's awesome. Yeah. But we did it because we constantly were uh, being confronted with this kind of stereotype. And it, yeah. and to, to specify, obviously, I highly doubt any such gatekeepers will be listening to this podcast uh, because most of them hate me anyhow, so that's fine. Um, well, if they are <laughs> listening, I hope your blood pressure is rising. Right. Um, <laughs> by any means, you know what? I tell you what. If you want to become a patron of the show, you can bitch all you want. But otherwise, go fuck yourself. <laughs> At that point, I'm paid to listen. Right. Well, no, not really. <laughs> like, I'll just delete it. But you'll be a lot like you. There might be a chance I read it. Doubt it. <laughs> I'll just mute your ass after the first fucking comment, but hey, Pime, you know, at least you can pay the bitch to me. That's fine. Um, right. It's such a uh, healthy perspective you have. I learned so much. You know, <clears throat> I have a lifetime of having really, really unusual jobs where, or circumstances, not technically even jobs, where I've, I, oh, I've been the minority um one of my oh one of my early jobs i started working for an efficiency management uh company i was the youngest person they've ever hired and i was one of the only female on several teams so it was it was really difficult you know uh, so <laughs> Like I, I had to constantly like, you know, um, what's the phrase like work twice as hard to get paid half as much. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. from the, from the get go, I picked like one of the hardest, uh, occupations I could. Uh, I picked something where I really, really needed to have a ton of confidence in who I was and what I was doing and what I was saying. And not that I ever lacked for confidence uh, in that regard, even as a teenager, all my friends will tell you, <laughs> I have it in spades. Um, but on top of it, I decided I was going to become an artist and I was doing this on the weekends. And I've had such absolute scathing reviews written about me, my art publicly that eventually you're just like eh whatever so you don't like it let's move on you know <laughs> well that's you know it's interesting and this is this is something i i try and communicate to folks who who ask me about getting into the game industry mm -hmm. and like what do i need to know what do i do and so forth i was you know i was talking i was talking with somebody who who I've known again for a long time from my neighborhood and they're the the child of some people I used to do theater with they saw my name pop up in the credits of uh, of a of an actual play where I did some consultation and they they DM'd me going oh my god oh my god you were involved with that and I was like yeah no they I god I forgot I was involved with that um <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I absolutely did the thing. They were lovely people. Uh, they did a lot of really amazing groundwork. Um, and, you know, shout out to Brennan Lee Mulligan. I, he yeah. did so much groundwork for that. Uh, By and, the way, uh, if you're listening, hey, can, come be on my podcast, please. <laughs> I do he, have to message him. I'm just, oh, yeah, absent-minded about it. 
That was the first time I had ever interacted with him directly. And he was so pleasant because I, I know you've encountered this as well, where you've done like sensitivity reads and so forth, where really the level people are at is like inclusion 101. Yeah. And the like, you know, basic definitions and so forth. When he consulted with uh, both Dr. Kelly Dunlap and myself, uh, Dr. Dunlap is the community director at Take This. It was clear he did his homework ahead of time. And we were all prepped to go into the 101 stuff. Yeah. But instead, he was like, okay, but I know this and this and this and this. And we're just like, oh, really? Okay. We love you. (laughs) We get to have some fun now. Right, right. And so serious shout out there. Um, But my my friend saw this and she's, uh, you know, you know, these people like, we, you know, we met, we've met. Right. And, you know, we, which tends to happen if you're in the same industry long enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, you're the coolest person I know. I want to be in that industry. And I'm like, do you? Oh. Do you really? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's not what you think. And no. there's a lot of downsides to go with it. Well, how do I how do I find success in this industry? Do something that people want and be willing to pound the pavement at convention 16 hours a day for five years. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And then they'll send me free stuff, maybe. But that's not why you're doing it. If you just want free stuff, five years of 16-hour-a-day work is not a good payout. Right. And, and you know, I've been, as I've been, you know, having these conversations with other people in the industry, um, we do mention and we do talk a lot about hustle culture because yeah. it is thriving in mm-hmm. this industry. Um, I also want to point out, like, <clears throat> excuse me, the, I, I do post that, you know, like a perfect example is I do get, uh, freebies from other people in the industry. I do get gifted stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it isn't as free as everyone seems to think it is. Everything yep. that you do or interact with in this community in some way, shape or form comes with a price tag. You are not getting a bunch of free stuff just because people like you or, you know, it is because you are putting your stuff out there. You're putting Mm -hmm. their stuff out there. You have a following that is of interest to them. Your work is of of interest to them. Like it's not, uh, and the other thing is like you, you are, they are hoping to work with you more exclusively, you know, uh, not to name names, but I have had companies come up to me, want to literally just throw product at me and then essentially like, yeah, as long as you don't work with another company that does something similar. No. Right. No. That's now, so tricky as a freelancer. Yes. Now I will do artwork if I, it, especially if it's a collaboration, if someone hires me, that's different. If you commission me to do work someone else can commission me to do work of the same nature. I don't, you know, I do try to avoid that because I don't like competition amongst Mm -hmm. my clients, but I also don't go out of my way. But if I collaborate with somebody, oh, I absolutely don't work with another company that does the same exact thing. Because usually collaborations work on royalties. I don't have the time to promote 5 million other companies uh-huh. that I work with that all make the same thing. Yeah. 
you know, and so it there, ends up, there it is. ends up reducing your, you know, what you end up getting out of it. It's exactly. Oh, so God. yeah, you know, Such but a even thing. it is. It, there's a lot to navigate doing this, even as an influencer, much less as an artist or uh, any other type of professional in this industry. It's it's a lot. Uh, and this is one of the few industries where I genuinely don't think that you could fake it till you make it. No, no, you cannot. Yeah. No. And that's, that's the other thing that, uh, this is like any creative industry that it's not, you don't generally get pity invites. Right. Oh it's, God. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because I... I, I think I wrote an article about this many years ago at this point, and I said something in it to the effect of these are people who run a business. And yes. if you are invited to be part of that, it's because they are willing to take a chance on you. And yeah. nobody who stays in business in a sustainable way does pity chances because that's their business on the line. Yes. So if you get invited to do something, there's a reason. There's a legitimate reason. You have something to offer. Now, right. that's not always that's not always obvious what that is. And I there have certainly been instances uh, in my career, one even a couple months ago, where I talked to somebody and said, hey, I seem like an odd choice for this. What's up? <laughs> and, you know, that they gave me a really, really thoughtful explanation. I went, that makes so much sense. Also, thank you. Yeah. Um, but actually, I, I'm I'm going to directly argue with you on something. Um, okay. There have been a couple of instances where somebody did give me something out of pure kindness, and one of the one of those instances was you. I don't know what you're talking about. You <laughs> did something incredibly kind for me, and um, I still have it on my shelf behind me. Oh. Yeah, you you persuaded some mutual friends now to uh, mm -hmm. send me a wonderful whiskey cask dice holder. Yeah. Well, I mean, for that to me is a little bit different because it's not the same as someone sending you product expecting that's you true. to talk about it. Right. That's it, it was yeah, though there are most of the time it is it, it is transactional. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing is, is like, I, uh, I, I am not like a lot of people in this industry. Cause again, You're I'm definitely not, a not. <laughs> <laughs> that is the, I, and I mean that in the absolutely most complimentary way possible, you are one of the most uniquely straightforward and insightful people I can think of. If there are a lot of times where if I want a straight opinion with a lot of clarity, you are the person I come to. Ah, thank you. I try my best. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that um, for me, um, I'm paying a lot of things forward in my life. I, I had uh, an unusual childhood uh, with extenuating circumstances, and I had some amazing people in my life gift me the ability to um, to continue my education, to find a proper job, to you know, to actually you know uh, thrive, because I was a kid on the streets and I was homeless, and I had some amazing opportunities that I would never have had 
otherwise. And they did it just, just to see me succeed in life and, and didn't ask for anything in return, which is just amazing. And then even in this industry, I have had people who took a tremendous chance on a no-name artist and was like, yeah, no, we, we definitely want to see, you know, your artwork, you know, your art thrive and everything else. And even, you know, uh, even once my name got up there, uh, I have had, uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm absolutely going to boast about him. Uh, I've had Matt Mercer absolutely in my corner insisting that I do work like on the uh, Explorer's um, Guide to Wild Mount. And regardless of whether or not anyone had ever contemplated another cartographer, didn't matter, you know. So to have that and have so so much in my corner, I immediately like, okay, need to pay it forward because I can't pay them back. Yeah, so, it's... The idea of a self-made person in this industry is like truly, truly a myth, and yes, it's something. Uh, something I, I I tell people is that, and this it's so weird. It, it's so weird having a reputation for being a networker as someone who has a literal social disability. I right. I cannot ever, and I've been invited to give workshops and talks on how to network within the game industry. And that comes up every time that the irony of the fact that I have a little literal social disability in this world, um, and yet this is what I, what I do. And one of the things that comes up is this idea of building business relationships. Very often, people focus on the first word, but not the second. Right. And the relationship part is very important, and it takes time to build. And those relationships are so often the source of your success and it doesn't matter what industry you're in um i owe a lot of my career to the person who is now the chief of staff at hasbro um through uh, nick mitchell for a lot of uh, you know he's opened some serious doors for me i've known i've known his his wife for nearly 30 years we went to high school together and you know i met nick earlier in his career when you know, they started dating and Nick has always been a big believer and supporter of my my career personally, aside from being a good friend. Um, yeah. And, you know, he opened one door and then somebody else liked working with me and that opened another. And it be, that's what it takes. It's not me just going in and busting the door down. It's the, right. it's the networks. Right. And a great example uh, of this... Uh, the difference, I should say, is um, when I when I started doing cartography in this space, I, I I come from a traditional art background. I wasn't intending to become a fancy cartographer because technically I did not know that that was something you could do for a living. <laughs> if we're going to be completely honest, I I, I knew I didn't that know there were game names. psychologist was either. So you are right. a good company, <laughs> right? So you know. Um, but it is, uh, it is my passion for world building, my love of earth sciences. It's me completely geeking out. I am a LARPer. I do, I have been playing this game for over 30 years. Um, and it was those really geeky conversations with people like 
you know, Chris Perkins, Matt Mercer, you know, like having just an engaging conversation without without specifically doing it so they notice me. You know, it wasn't, I, I, you don't comment on something like, oh, this is going to, this is going to spark this amazing lifetime friendship. They just post something geeky and I'm just being a goofball on like Twitter <laughs> or something and just reply, you know, because honestly, the amount of people that do message or comment on the things that we do, where it doesn't feel like you're trying to have a genuine conversation it feels more like you're trying to get us to notice you or to yeah. acknowledge a product or something you've made like it's it becomes painfully obvious at some point and then you yeah. just start blocking those out because it's like oh it's just another one so you know engage with people this is an incredibly personal hobby oh yeah we're emotionally oh, yeah. attached to the game to the settings to our characters if you want people to genuinely, you know, if you want to become friends with people in this industry, talk to us about our worlds, our games, our characters, mm -hmm. like on a genuine level. Mm -hmm. If at that later point in time that the subject of what you do for a living comes up, <laughs> fabulous. But if yeah. that's, that's your interaction with me, I generally, uh, I start to ignore it because... Again, I'm aware of how many people follow me. I don't, I'm not oblivious to it. I, I know that there's people who only want to work with me because of my name or who I'm associated with or how many yeah. followers I have on whatever platform. I'm aware. <laughs> it's not news. Come on, people. Now, it, you know. it, it, one of the, and this is especially poignant in the context of what I said earlier about the my interview at the prison because knowing my tendency when I get socially anxious and confused to try and compensate and act confident, um, right. trademark. But <laughs> it, knowing that, there was something I started chanting to myself at conventions mm -hmm. oh, a couple years into my career, and it was a really, it was a game-changing thing for me. I would psych myself up if I, if I felt myself getting nervous, and I would say over and over and over again to myself, don't be interesting, be interested. There you go. And it made such a difference. It was an absolute game changer because then I didn't go Ooh. into these things just like, notice me, senpai. Instead, <laughs> it was, hey, no, I, I, yeah, I know who you are. I know what you do. Right. And this is really, this is, fat. actually, I've, I've got a question for you that you made this choice here and here. And I, it was fascinating to me. Like, what made you do that? Right. And it was, a, it, and then suddenly people are talking back to me like I'm the, like I'm a colleague instead yes. of a fan and that is such an important distinction yes yeah i it is one of the reasons why i want to do this podcast because when i end up talking to people um in the industry either you know for work or just for fun or you know even just you know uh typing to each other and and having a general conversation I, I'm always reminded of the person that I'm sorry. I I have to laugh, and um, I'm so sorry if this person is listening. I got someone ran up to me during a comic con, and was so excited to let me know that they don't treat the cast of Critical Role like famous people, and they feel like they obviously know 
that they didn't treat them that way and therefore they're going to remember them. And I, I couldn't stop myself because I can't. This is how I am. <laughs> so I'm so sorry if I pissed this person off, but I was like, so you, in other words, you treated them like their friends and family normally do? Like, the people that we remember are the people that fangirled, and we don't necessarily remember it in a good way, not necessarily yeah. bad either, but... Like, if you treat us like a normal person, that's exactly how we were treated before anyone knew our name, or how our friends still treat us now. So that's normal. Right. That, that's like, oh, okay, great. It's not a, oh, thank God you're not fangirling. Although occasionally I get like that with people. Yeah, it depends on it depends on the time and the place. Yeah. I I can think of a couple folks who are in my inner circle now who the first the first interaction that I had with them was them mocking me and I'm like, you are not going the same way as these other people did. Um, right. You are a fascinating individual. I would like to know you better. Right. If you talk to me like a normal person, I'm far more likely to engage with you. Right. But it's not then, guaranteed. Right. Well, I shouldn't say don't talk to me like a normal person. Here, let me rephrase this. Talk to me like an enthusiastic tabletop player or world builder or writer or artist. <laughs> because that is these are my passions and these yeah. are the things I absolutely geek out over and and nerd so hard that I've made it a living. It is my entire personality and then some. Uh so yeah, that that's the kind of stuff that I love. Um and again, that's one of the reasons why I was like, oh, if I did this podcast, I get to like totally nerd out with a bunch of people that I'm already friends with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's so it's so much fun. And that that's the thing. It, you I, I'm finally at the point in my career where I now having been in the game industry for nearly a decade, for the better mm -hmm. part of a decade, where I am seeing the people I, I more or less came up with they're having success yeah. and you know within certain circles people know them people know us that's not to say that like oh my god we're famous but you know we have right. a reputation within certain circles i'd like to right. think with i'd like to think i'm a c-level celebrity within a very small population of packs <laughs> like, well, like those like those like 12 people say, yeah they're my yeah. fan group <laughs> fame is relative i mean it compared is. to how <laughs> tiny the rpg space is no we're not famous but no. in that rpg space yes we are uh within yeah within a certain <laughs> subsect of that yes. rpg space uh the four oh, yeah. people who are at mental health and rpgs yes we know right. they they know who i am right but uh the the yeah it's it's a really interesting thing to see the people i started in this industry with and to watch all of our careers evolve and to be able to laugh about the fact that people are basically going in and doing the whole notice me senpai or I'm very mm -hmm. clearly deliberately not trying to, te to react to you like I admire you but I very much admire you um, or we're going to get overly familiar or yep. whatever the that for me just personally me the sweet spot is collegial mm -hmm. if you if you treat me the same way that you if you come to a convention and you meet me for the first time and you treat me the same way you would another coworker who you're meeting for the first time yes who and that's the important thing because of course there's coworkers you know really well and there's the coworkers you're meeting for the first time 
that's that's really the sweet spot for me. And then yeah. you 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 know you have a neutral to good impression on me, and we see each other again, and we get to know each other, and that those relationships build over time, and you cannot force that. When people no. try and force that, especially mm-hmm. the time aspect, oh god, it's it's weird. Yes, yeah. Um, like a a great example of this is I'm actually uh, friends with quite a few people that uh, originally started off as just followers or became patrons and now they sit in my discord and we just have a, a ball on a regular basis and I they're now friends like close friends like I just went over to somebody's house and had dinner not too long ago because hmm. you know eventually these these relationships build and yes she still occasionally fangirls a little bit and it's adorable as fuck to me <laughs> Right, because, you know, at this point, she knows who I am. She, there's no reason to fangirl, but she does occasionally, and that's fine, <laughs> you know? Well, that's, <laughs> we, I mean, that's such a, that's such a, it's not a new phenomenon, but it's no. getting more attention these days is, um, is the, the concept of parasocial relationships. Yes. And uh, it's, it's, it's not a new concept. It, the original formal research was done in the 1950s. But, it, you know, it's even older than that because fandoms have existed for millennia. Right. But what's really interesting is the way it's morphing. Previously, it was thought of as this one-sided, intense emotional connection to uh, a media personality that you have frequent exposure to, and fictional or otherwise. Because I mm-hmm. um, I definitely have a parasocial relationship with two, two guys named Rogers. One of them is Fred. The other one is Steve. Um, Mr. <laughs> Rogers and Captain America. And it's right? a, it's an example of a good thing because parasocial relationships aren't always a bad thing. They can be no. really quite healthy. I why well, I kind of think to myself, what would Captain America or what would Mr. Rogers do? And it's often a good question to ask. Yes. Um, because I'm aware that it is a parasocial relationship. But where it gets interesting with new forms of media like live streaming and, and uh, content creation and being in a Discord and podcasts is it's this one and a half sided relationship where people don't necessarily know the boundaries. Right. And one, there's a mutual friend of ours, uh, Tanya DePass, Cypher of Tear. Mm-hmm. I can't is, wait to have her on the show. Oh my God. Well, Tanya frequently, whenever I pop into, whenever I pop into her, her chats or her streams, she refers to me in an extremely familiar way because we've known each other for nearly 10 years and we're close. Right. And she calls me Roth. <laughs> other, you know, when we're not in a professional setting, you do too. My friends yes. can call me that. But if but if randos at a convention are high Roth, no, that is so uncomfortable. That is yes. so overly familiar. And Tanya goes out of her way to say, hey, basically disclaimer, uh, hey gang, uh, if you might be hearing me talk to Dr. B in a very familiar way, and you might be hearing Dr. B talk to me in a very familiar way, because we are friends and we've known each other a long time, but that doesn't mean you're his friend. So be right. respectful, folks. And people it, people have to be overtly told that because they take these context cues from, from people uh, yeah. and then they just act on it. But, oh, God, it's so uncomfortable when people get overly familiar. I'm like, oh, you call me what my significant other calls me, and I don't know you. Yeah, like, I, I do it a lot with everyone, like, wants to give me the nickname Dev. First off, no. 
I've already got a short fucking name. And if I wanted to be known as Dev, I would have fucking put my name on the internet as Dev, not Devin. Clearly, I don't want people using that name. But also, ask first. Yeah. Ask first. Hey, do you mind if I call you Dev? Nah, I don't really oh like it. God. Oh, okay. But you don't fucking know me? Here, here's where my New Yorker comes out. You don't fucking know me. Don't fucking know me. And Robert De Niro has entered you. the building. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> I think we're I, a little bit I more Joe things. Pesci. I saw things. I, I'm more Joe Pesci. I'm, yeah, you, what, I, am I a clown to amuse you? Yeah, no, that was definitely some good fellas right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but it it is. It, a lot of things is what people don't understand is they want they want that familiar don't get me wrong um we are all absolutely looking for our online family we're all looking for our gaming family oh, yeah. you know and i 100% understand i too am always looking for people that i connect with you know we're here doing this really emotional um uh, embarrassing, putting our personal thoughts and feelings <laughs> out there kind of game. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, you have to understand that a lot of people aren't aren't okay with it just being an instantaneous anything as you are. Uh, I make the joke, I run at 90 miles an hour with everything. If I'm going to do something, I'm absolutely doing it at a speed in which most people are like, what? What is the matter with you? Are you on fire? Like, <laughs> did you just get, did you just find out that you're terminal or something? Are you going to like, why are you doing this? Like you've got five days to live and you need to finish this. Well, that's, that's my personality. I'm just not like that in relationships. Yeah. It's, you know, well, I mean, we, we have our, we have our different, our different motivators. Yes. You know, uh, so, you know, and again, I understand it's still, it's still not going to make me any less uncomfortable, unfortunately, because it's still, it's still me. I yeah. may understand, but that doesn't mean that it's not uncomfortable. And, um, if I, you know, I have been, unfortunately, I've been very short and succinct with people. <laughs> <laughs> one that is my just my way of talking <laughs> one of the and things it, i appreciate you uh, appreciate about <laughs> you actually i wish other people did instead most people take it as me being very hostile <laughs> i i i I've, i jo actually uh I, I was talking about this with another autistic friend of mine and one of the things we've noticed about you know ourselves is how many of the people we get along with are who are from Boston, New York, and Philadelphia? Right. Uh, because there is very little ambiguity where I stand with the people I know from Boston, Philly, and yes. New York City. I just know. Whereas, you know, my friends, Chicago, notwithstanding, because my friends from Chicago proper, I also know where I stand with them. But from right. like the North Shore, Chicago suburbs, it's the Midwest and the Deep South. That is autism hell. Okay. I, 
there's so much coded communication, but the directness of my friends from Chicago proper, Philly, New York, and Boston. Here, oh, it's we great. don't fucking have time. We live in a city where shit's always just changing. We just got to communicate exactly what it is we need or else we're going to get run over by a taxi cab. Like, we just right. got to... Yeah. We have a pace... It's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, it's one of the things I actually really miss about living in a city and everything else. I miss New York terribly sometimes. Just... Just not always. Like during when it's really cold, I don't miss New York anymore. <laughs> during COVID, I really didn't miss New York anymore. Uh, but yeah, but I miss the food. Oh man. Anyhow, I have I can go on a whole tangent about that. Oh no, I, I just I actually appreciate that direct uh, that directness so much because it's it's one of those things where with other people I'm I'm kind of wondering, God, did I did I. Did I do something to offend right. them? And Did I, I don't piss know you it. Off? Did I, yeah. I don't, are they just being nice? Whereas, yeah, my New York, Boston, Philly, and Chicago friends, yo, I'm pissed. Okay, I can work with this. Right, right. I'm very, like, I had somebody uh, not too long ago do the same thing where they're like, I don't know what I did to make you upset with me. And I was like, I'm not upset with you. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. They're like, oh, well, you're being very hostile towards me. And I was like, no, I'm just, you, you asked me something direct <laughs> that was non-emotional so i just answered I a factual factually. answer right there shouldn't be any emotional indicators for a factual statement i don't understand <laughs> i mean i do i understand but i forget all the time and also i'm an artist my main form of genuine communication is art so, uh, I don't necessarily think about giving a nice, big, emotional, uh, answer to a very specific factual question. <laughs> if you ask me what color the sky is, I'm just going to go blue. I didn't know that I, I need to like wax, uh, uh, poetic prose and, and tell you the specific color or the scientific answer for that matter either. I technically will answer you clear, but what a refraction, what a blah, 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 makes it blue. <laughs> That'll answer with, but that's the closest you get. <laughs> Otherwise, I, yeah. No, I, I'm, I used to, I was previously married and uh, my, my in-laws were a family of, uh, uh, Midwest Jewish folks and the amount of coded communication that existed yes. within their family. I was frequently told I needed to make apologies because I I did such things as uh, when asked, where would you like to go for dinner? I answered directly instead of deferring to other people for the next half an hour, which was, I'm told later, the custom. Yes. Yes, it is. I and don't I do that was, either. We're in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused because, you know, my now, my, my now ex-wife, you know, informed me that, no, 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 you're not supposed to answer that directly. I'm like, what do you mean? She had, your mom asked me directly. Right. And, and I've also at other times heard your mom say, will somebody just make a decision? And so I'm like, okay, I have heard both of those things. I have entered the data into my brain and I am at, I am answering the question at which point I was subtly because of course you, you can't say this overtly um right. i was subtly told i did a bad yeah and yeah. then i did a confused 
this is one of the reasons why if you ever join uh, my Discord listeners, if you ever join my Discord, there's a whole lovely list of my personal boundaries and also how to uh, be in a voice chat with me because as a partially blind person, I do rely on my hearing a great deal. And if, I, if I'm just in a conversation, that's different. But, but if I'm playing a video game, and unfortunately a mutual friend of ours has discovered this, if I'm playing a video game and you talk the entire time, not being mean or anything, you're just chatting and something is happening, I start to go into sensory overload. Oh God, yeah. And I I can't focus on on two things. And if you start asking me questions, I I you know what? I gotta go. Yeah. I cannot do this. Split attention. Nope. Yeah. Not happening. I'm out. Love you to pieces. Gotta go by. <laughs> nope. Can't do it. Cannot right. do it. Negatory. Right. Yes. And I have had people where, you know, a bunch of people have been in voice chat with me and they're all talking at once. And I start just, I can't focus on one person enough to answer a question to move on. You know what? I'm out. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> this has been great. Love y'all. Gotta go. Bye. And I just leave. <laughs> Yeah, it's it gets too much, and I'm I I love the fact that um, now in 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 fairness I, I'm I, I've I've brought up my my ex in laws uh, already, and I don't want to paint paint them in an unfortunate or villainous right. light because um, for for a good chunk of the time that I was married, I didn't know I was autistic, and so I didn't have the knowledge base I I do now to be able to explain um, or help other people understand some of my idiosyncrasies. Um, all they knew was I was, you know, I behaved very differently than they came to expect. So, you know, there was, right. there was, I, I've had to do a lot of explaining and the, but I'm very fortunate now to now have a more full understanding of my sensory needs, my attention needs and so forth. And I'm also very blessed to be surrounded by folks, including yourself who who understand and have their own needs and that's just that's just a factual thing if it's different than different than the expected then so be it that's right. okay um, normal in this case is purely a statistical term not a moral judgment right oh yeah and again I am I'm painfully aware that I am probably the only partially blind person that a lot of people in our community interacts with. So I, I, I become aware that, you know, a lot of, um, or at least interacts in, in, to that extent. Um, so I realized that I end up becoming inadvertently the spokesperson, which please don't do that to me because everyone else has their own, <laughs> own unique stuff going on. It's not just me. Please don't. But Devin, anyhow. don't you know every group is a monolith and any one person can represent the opinion of the entire group? Oh God. Yes, people have done this to me and uh, it's terrifying. <laughs> please don't do it's, that to people. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, but again, I, I understand to a degree, of course, um, that people do this. All right, fine. We're just we'll just work within those parameters as best as possible. When you overstep, I'll let you know, you know, type of thing. But also, the the 
it, like I just had someone apologize for using the word see. I see what you mean. And I was like, you do realize that we understand metaphor, right? <laughs> like our vision is impaired, not not our mental understanding of English. Like <laughs> it's a metaphor. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see what you mean. <laughs> You don't have it, to apologize for using words that imply vision. <laughs> How weird. I have some. <laughs> uh, well, it's I mean, but there, this I mean, this gets to the this gets to the the fact that any group is not a monolith and right. you know, I I you know, doing a little research into this within the autism community, there seems to be an age-based discrepancy uh, between preferences in using like identity first language versus person first language when it comes to uh, self-identification of autism. And <laughs> people who are my age are uh, at least based on the last research I, I looked at are more likely to use both interchangeably than people who are younger because you know my my and this is for me only I, I always try and respect how people self-identify within the right. community is that for me as like I don't kind of like Patton Oswald said evil motherfuckers will learn the language and so I, I care less about the accuracy of the words than I do the context of how you say it um, yeah. at least in re in reference to me if you say i am a person with autism and you the the next words out of your mouth are respectful and inquisitive and then give me a place in the conversation then cool we're fine yes um and, and so uh but also i just i i wonder about language language policing especially for a group of people that have a social disability i think that that, that oh yeah ends up actually creating more inaccessibility and there's a whole tension there and like, right. conversations but anyway like, i'm waxing i'm oh waxing no philosophic I mean, here it 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 fits a lot you know um so i will have and this is the weirdest thing for me uh i will have normal sighted people tell me that blind people don't appreciate me calling myself blind because i have some sight um, okay, bold claim, Cotton. Right. All right. Let's see how that right. plays. So uh, I hate to point this out, but uh, <clears throat> of the entire blind community, it, if you go on the American Association for the Blind, it says of the blind community, only 2% are fully blind, which means that they obviously consider people who have some form of eyesight part of the blind fucking community wait 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 wait, wait. hold up hold up you're, you're telling me that in a community where 49 out of 50 people fall under a certain category those 49 out of 50 people are considered part of that community i know right weird shit i i call i i call shenanigans on this you can, but guess what? You're not a part of our community, so you don't get to dictate Touché. what we do and don't like. <laughs> or how we identify. Oh, God. It's... Right. I, oh, yeah. I, I love it when... I love it when people, you know, treat the autism community, treat the ADHD community like a monolith and expect yeah. us all to fall under a certain category. And if we don't, then we clearly don't actually fit. It's lovely. <laughs> he yeah. said with as much sarcasm as he can muster <laughs> well so what i want to um oh god there's so many uh um 
instances, and I, I could probably go on forever uh, about things like this and the misunderstandings of of people with autism or being partially blind or fully blind for that matter. Um, what I what I'm really not curious. What's the word I'm looking for? What I think would be interesting um, is what what do you do with that wonderful degree and everything that you have? What is it exactly Cry. that you write? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, within this community, like, cause you say, oh, I work with, you know, um, take this and, but what is it that you do? What do you do? What do I do? Um, I, I do mostly education. I, okay. I, so my, there are two types of doctorates. Well, there's actually more type, more than two types of doctorates in psychology. Uh, I, mm -hmm. as I think about it, there's, you know, doctorates of education, there's, there's doctorates of counseling psychology, there's PhDs, there's PsyDs, there's a lot of different types of doctorates. And uh, they mean different things based on what they are. Now I have what's called a PsyD, a doctorate of clinical psychology, which is more clinically focused than research focused. Mm -hmm. Because I thought I was just gonna do therapy with people for the rest of my life, as well as you know psych assessments and so forth. And I do some direct clinical work these days. I have, I still have a few clients left, but I'm slowly transitioning out of that. Um, I might do assessments in the future, but I'm these days doing more administrative management, education and advocacy work because, uh, and I, this is still fun to bring up with my dad. Cause I think I have the only father in the world who's angry. His son didn't become an actor. Uh, <laughs> if it, if it wasn't psychology, it would have been acting and it's fun to bring up at parties that I could have been an actor, dad. And he's going, I know. Oh, and people, what's he do now? He's a psychologist and he does blah, blah. It's like that Monty Python sketch, actually, right. um, where, yeah, the, if you, where the class reversal happened. But I, I found through my work at Take This that I really love teaching. I really love doing policy advocacy. I really love helping people to gain knowledge and access to this better world, to uh, the world of mental health, because my industry has done a piss poor job of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, if you look at the history of psychiatry, psychology within the you know, history of Western psychology and psychiatry specifically, it's, there's a lot of really awful stuff, right. absolutely horrific stuff. Um, eugenics comes to the top of my mind um, but there's a lot of stuff and that has ramifications to this day uh, and how a lot of a lot of things were applied but one of the things my industry does not do a good enough job about is educating people on their own mental health right and like the number the number of people in their early 20s because I, I love working with late adolescents uh, young adults I love working with that age range because they're they're often motivated they're curious they want to find they want to you know find their place in the world and that's just that's just per personally fun fun folks for me to work with right and what I find is that somebody who may have had an ADHD diagnosis since you know if they were seven years old, and I say, well, you, you know about this, you know what ADHD looks like and what the symptoms are. And, you know, they're 23, 16, 16 years later, they say, no, I actually don't. And I'm like, oh, are, are you kidding? Nobody ever taught you this stuff? 
they just diagnosed you and nobody ever taught you what ADHD actually looks like? Do you want to take the remainder of our hour-long therapy session and just answer some questions so I can teach you what ADHD looks like? And inevitably their response is, yeah, actually. Yeah. And throughout the course of that, I, I'm like, okay, and let's, first of all, let's just go through the book. Let's look at the symptoms. And they're like, that's one of them too? I'm like, yes. <laughs> and then there's the stuff that isn't directly in the book that people might know about. And then they end up, we end up talking about misconceptions that they have because while TikTok and content creation has certainly made mental health information more accessible, a lot of the time it's not accurate information. In fact, there was a study done out of the UK about ADHD TikTok, and 52% of the information found on TikTok was false right. about ADHD. Um, there's some really common misconceptions about ADHD that feel so validating that they've taken off like wildfire within the within the ADHD community that we lack we lack object permanence because we we have this out of sight, out of mind phenomena. No, we do not lack object permanence. That is an entirely different concept. What we struggle with is uncued memory recall as well as memory encoding. And right. we do have this out of sight, out of mind phenomena, but that's not the same as um, as object okay. permanence because <laughs> the difference is um, if I lacked object permanence and you told me I had a significant other and I couldn't see her, I would be, I would not believe you. Right. That's, right. that's what lacking object permanence actually is. And so the, but it's, it feels like a validating term. So it took off. Um, we struggle with rejection sensitivity, but rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Oh, I may end up writing a journal article on this next year because it's, it's it's not a researched concept, and the way it was originally proposed uh, by the guy who proposed it, there are a lot of methodological flaws. Plus, he claimed that it is exclusive to ADHD, and it's not. Rejection sensitivity is a common experience for a lot of really similar reasons across a lot of different diagnoses that struggle with uh, emotional dysregulation as well as stigma that combination yeah. of chronic stigma and emotional dysregulation. Yeah, we, we, we feel a lot of rejection sensitivity. But anyway, the, the, there's so there's a lot of misinformation out there. And in my very circumlocutious way of answering questions, I, I found I love getting to help people have a better, more accurate understanding of what's going on for them. And so I end up doing that within my private practice. And... But also with Take This, we get to do general education on a broad scale, but we also get to do really cool things like consultation on mental health representation in games. And, you know, I mentioned getting to work with um, Dimension 20 earlier, and they, they brought some great questions and did a bang up job. Um, I got to be a technical consultant on the game Psychonauts 2. Uh, that's still an awesome thing. I can't believe I get to say. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've done, you know, mental health representation consults on a variety of tabletop RPGs, usually indie. Um, but I also get to talk to high-level game executives about policies. I'm I'm take this as burnout expert. Not in a self-incriminating way, though it might be at times. Um, I, I'm just I'm I'm the de facto expert on the research and what uh, occupational burnout is. And so we just get to put out good information into the world. And that 
gives people the ability to have better conversations with themselves, better conversations with their healthcare providers, better conversations um, with their friends and family because they have more knowledge instead of being at the behest of people who are just slapping labels on. Right. I had a uh, an amazing uh, therapist years and years ago. Um, uh, I, I was diagnosed with um, PTSD and and mm-hmm. uh, or complex PTSD. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, had to work through a lot, and um, including recognizing that I was self sabotaging my <laughs> own relationships. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, people do that? <laughs> I definitely did. <laughs> I I totally didn't do that in my twenties. Oh. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Um. But the great thing is, like, she she gave me some really amazing advice, which is you can't stay in a relationship with somebody who doesn't have any tools on how to deal with the same things that you're dealing with. Your partner may not have PTSD, but if you give them the right tools, they can deal with the repercussions of you having it. Oh my God. That's brilliant. Right. And I was like, ah, Okay, okay. All right, fine. Just fucking call me out like that. Um, and it it took a while for me to even accept that because well, because PTSD despite um I I, I don't want to be mean about it. There's a lot of people who just take on a um a mental illness because there are some similarities in their life to it and aren't actually being diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And I understand because a, a lot of us, especially when when things are utterly confusing or very difficult in our lives, it's nice to have something that you feel like you... Well, it's validating. That, right. Yeah. But I can't stress enough that if you believe on any level that you have PTSD, please go seek a therapist. Well, I, can I can I jump in and say something about that? Please do, because uh, this is this is something that's in the autism community as well. You know, self diagnosis, um, mm-hmm. and uh, there, people have asked me, do I think self diagnosis is valid? And I, uh, what I often answer with is, I don't think self diagnosis should be should have to be a thing. And the right. fact that we're even having this conversation is a failure of the medical industry. Because that whether or not I think self-diagnosis is valid or not, um, my bigger concern is that the the fact that self-diagnosis has to exist, and it does have to exist, because one, getting formal diagnostics, especially as an adult, is expensive as hell. Yes. Um, And there are so few people who, who deal effectively and affirmingly with adult diagnoses of things like autism and um and adhd who a lot of a a lot of mental health professionals and medical professionals are told those are quote-unquote kids disorders yeah and i take umbrage with you know is it a is it a mental illness is it an operating system and that's a whole nuanced conversation unto itself definitely the latter um but the it it I want to. I, I do want to tell people that there are pros and cons to self-diagnosis. Uh, yeah. 
there are pros and cons. And actually, my, my former professor and the, the person who started an organization called The Awake Project, which is the autistic women's awareness, knowledge, empowerment project, does some had a great chart on the pros and cons of both. Um, but I also, I also want to say that it doesn't have to be a full-on diagnosis to be a concern. No, no, which is why, which is why, like I was trying desperately to word it. Um, if you believe on any scale that you may have PTSD or something similar, uh, and you're able to absolutely talk to a counselor, talk to a therapist, talk to somebody, um, because the longer that you go without the right tools oh god the harder your life becomes the more difficult your relationships are oh my god yes the harder it is for other people to deal with you and the more isolating it gets so bad and um especially in my particular case it's because i grew up again under extenuating circumstances i didn't even i didn't even remotely think that having ptsd from that was possible and yeah. right and it yeah. it wasn't until i i had a particularly terrifying episode uh of dealing with a breakdown and everything else that i i went to a counselor for an entirely different reason i thought there was something hormonal wrong with me maybe or like medically wrong because i don't understand i'm having these these like all of a sudden I'm just drenched in sweat and my heart is racing and for no fucking reason quote-unquote uh I thought I was going into like I, I thought there was something wrong with my heart or something you know like clearly couldn't be mental <laughs> um well, that's I mean that's just it there's this is just from a just from a professional standpoint uh, mm -hmm. this is part of the if anybody ever asks themselves why people get so many different diagnoses mm -hmm. um it's because the oh the 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 tricky part about mental health diagnostics is that we are trying to gauge internal experiences from external clues yes and there are so many factors cultural social physical that affect how we express internalized distress right and just a, just as a, a, a fairly low-hanging fruit example when people have come to me in the past and been worried that they may have adhd because they're having a hard time paying attention to some things well my response depending on the level of relationship i have with them uh you know varies in how cheeky it is but right. um you know for the ones that i that I have a good relationship with and it can be a little snarky. Uh, I, you know, my, my response is, okay, well, do you know how many, how many mental health diagnoses affect attention? And they're like, no. And I would say, if you either directly or indirectly, if you say all of them, you would be correct. So right. now we're, now I know that attention is one of the struggles that they're having. Maybe it's the only one, maybe it's not. Um, but now I have to somehow rule things out. And if I miss something important, which human error is a thing uh then 
they get the wrong diagnosis. And this is part of the reason that Alan Francis, who was the chair of the previous DSM, um, that for those of you who don't know, the DSM is kind of the Bible, according to the American Psychiatric Association. The, the He was the chair of the DSM-4, and he said something on Twitter one time that just stuck with me, that diagnoses should be written in pencil, not pen. Yes. Because it's so easy to miss something, and it's so easy to get things wrong. Um and that and if we're not if we don't have the humility to be able to change this as people who have an inordinate amount of social power within that meta, behavioral medical context we're gonna harm people yes if we don't listen if we don't go with things if, if they say hey you don't understand and instead of saying well crap i guess i don't understand what am i missing we respond with what has so often been said, no, 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 you don't understand. Right. And a lot of harm has been done that way through the, through either just honest mistakes about diagnostics or deliberate ignorance. And it's, it's, it's bad news. I got, I just, I wish, God, I wish my industry was, had a little bit more humility in respect. I mean, I think that, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, I think a lot of people are looking for such an exact response, such an exact answer. Like, okay, I'm going to answer these 20 questions and you're going to tell me exactly what's wrong with me. And then we're going to quote unquote, cure it. Nah. I'm going to state right now, I have PTSD and will have for my entire life. I have the tools to live with it and cope with it and gave the tools to my partner to also do the same thing. But I will have it my entire life. There isn't a cure for it. Being diagnosed with it didn't save me from having to deal with it. It just gave a name to it and gave me a set of tools that are unique to me. Yeah. No other person with PTSD can have my tools and be able to have a fully productive life in the same manner because it doesn't work that way. Nope. And and the same is true with with any of them and it's I don't perceive me having PTSD even though technically I understand why it makes people uncomfortable. To me, it is no more a disability to me than it, than my blindness is. And by the way, my blindness is absolutely not a disability. It's not a hindrance. It's not an obstacle. It's this, it's a part of me, just like my skin, my hair, my eyes. It's just me. And so is my PTSD. Do I still seek a counselor's help? Absolutely, because new things crop up that make I don't have the tools for, so I find the new tools for them. Yes, I still seek therapy and I always will. Because it's important that I understand that this is a lifetime situation. You know, it's interesting for me to hear you say that because I, I you and I have such different different experiences, I think, around the word disability. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm very casual about it. I'm like, yes. This is my autism, my ADHD. These are disabilities. What of oh, it? Yes. I don't mean it like disability is a bad thing. I just mean it like I don't perceive it as... Um... Oh, 
God, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, I I get asked all the time. Like a failure? Right. Or some moral mark against you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't see it as that at all. Yeah, people really do use it with a moral implication. Right. You know, I I constantly get people like, oh my God, what obstacles did you have to overcome? Oh my God, the freaking charity, oh, freaking charity model or like moral model of disability. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have to overcome anything that any other artist didn't. They had to draw constantly or paint constantly or whatever in practice, practice, practice in order to achieve their level. Same here. The only difference is I couldn't learn in school the way they did because I don't see the way they do. And that's it. Yeah, it's such a, I mean, it's, God, it, yeah. it's, it, so it, it's strange that uh, as a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mackenzie Armas, who is so insightful around this stuff, uh, mm-hmm. I, I love getting to, I love getting to talk with Mackenzie. She's amazing. Uh, uh, yeah, about, it's, she and I have done a bunch of panels together about autism. Because uh, she's very, very public about her autism as well. So, you know, she she's talked about her autism and also some of her physical disability uh, stuff as well. And she said that being disabled is the only form of marginalization that you can come to later in life. Mm-hmm. And I did. I I didn't realize I had a disability and until I was 35. And... I, you know, I've done a lot of soul searching around that word since then. And one of the things that it sounds like we, we share this, one of the things that absolutely gets under my skin is the fact that people treat it as a moral word as opposed yes. to simply a functionality thing that, okay, this is, I have a different rule set that I'm, that I'm playing with here. And we yes. need to figure out a way to adapt your rule set to my rule set and vice versa. This is a this is a question of mutual interface, not some moral failing on my part. Right. Oh, you still want to go with the moral route. Okay. Oh God. Yeah, no, tell me tell me how inspirational I am. I don't know what I did, but you know, you can keep telling me that. Right, right. Uh one of the uh things that annoy me the most is when someone goes, Oh my god, you're partially blind. <laughs> your artwork is even more impressive. Motherfucker, okay. my artwork is impressive to begin with. Full fucking stop. My eyesight clearly doesn't have that effect on it the same way you think. It's I, how I had to learn to do yeah. art. That's the only difference. I, I, you know, I, I, I know you know this already, but in case you didn't, I feel the urge to tell you that you have a superpower. I mean, Simply- I do. you just didn't know you knew about it (laughs) i that that's the other thing that you know that what comes out of this charity slash moral model of disability is there the way people talk about it like well it's okay that you have this disability because you're exceptional in these other areas and like you Mm -hmm. have like one there's so many problems with that statement that i have to be exceptional to be valid Right. And somehow me being exceptional when I very much might not be in other areas mm-hmm. somehow erases the challenges that I have. Right. And that makes it okay. Is who is this being who are you making this okay for? You or me, because I'm I'm aware I still have these challenges regardless. 
If I can't find the sugar, I don't care how much sugar I have in the basement. I still can't find the sugar. Right. Here's here's the answer to that question. And I ask this of every normal-sighted person who feels the need to point out the disabilities and hardships us blind people must go through. When you see a blind person, a fully blind person, wearing sunglasses, why are they wearing them? I mean, I always assumed it was for other people. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. I I wear I wear tinted glasses all the time. Uh, one because I have highly light sensitive eyes. But even in in darkness or on video and everything else, I still wear them because it absolutely unnerves normal sighted people to watch one of my eyes just slowly drift off doing its own fucking thing. And it's like, are are you wait, are you looking at are you looking at me? Don't mind that one. <laughs> just ignore that. It's it's got its own agenda. It's fine. You know, it's not an indication in any way that I'm not listening to you or I'm bored. That eye just does what it wants. <laughs> you know? I- <laughs> I actually there's a there's there's an experience sometimes friends of mine have um, being around uh, hanging around around me, mm-hmm. and especially when I'm hanging out with other autistic folks, where, and I, I really have to applaud my friends who are brave enough to to compassionately and directly bring this up. Mm-hmm. They, they you know they talk about how strange it is to be around uh, you know, my other autistic friends and me when they're the only non-autistic person in the room. Yeah. And they say they're, they're very confused about the social dynamic. They're confused about the interactions, what we're supposed to do and what we're not, and so <laughs> forth. And then I, then I get to say, hey, cool, you had the autism experience. Yes. But you got to walk away from it. Right, right. <laughs> Oh, and yeah. it, it it opens up a really interesting conversation. Um, not that they you know at that point that if any of them are like, I get it now. No, you don't. No, um, you get a small portion of a single day. Right, but it's 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 fascinating to me how many more of how many of those friends who and I who when we've had those conversations have been so much more compassionate and humble about the experiences that. I have and they have and just how differently we experience the world. You know, I wish to say that that was true across all disabilities, but as as a GM to uh, a table of eight players that are deaf, hard of hearing and or blind, fully blind or partially, um, we have tried to have uh, normal hearing inside people at our table. And that compassion doesn't always come across when they feel on the outside of our group. Which is amazing to us, considering how very othered we are made to feel um, out in in public. You know, um, at least... Uh, well, no, I don't... I, it's weird to say it this way, because I don't mean it in, in a... Like, oh, you have it better than us. I don't mean it like that at all. But you have the ability of somebody not immediately knowing. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas with me, I'm standing there with a blind person caning glasses. So at a Comic-Con, someone might oh. think I'm cosplaying, but that's about it. 
Oh no, it's the the passing privilege as a whole. It is very much a yes. whole thing, um, and it, it's it's a complication unto itself. It's also certain advantages because I could I could infiltrate. Yes, I I can sneak in and I can be a double agent. And exactly. people were like, but you're autistic. And I said, yes, yes, I am. My code name is Agent Fifty Three because I don't know. We like numbers. I right random I number that we chose. Yes, <laughs> and I. But at the same time, there's also there's also um, people make assumptions about my capabilities and yes. my needs because I have that passing privilege. Right. How many I, people want to take you to Las Vegas? Oh Christ, on a cracker! Oh my God, Las. Oh God, if I never have to go to Las Vegas again, I will be so happy. Las Vegas is the fourth circle of autism hell. Yeah, oh, but you God. must be amazing at counting cards. Uh huh. Yeah, uh -huh. well, that's where the ADHD comes in, and then I have working memory challenges. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm like, what? I, I have working memory problems and processing speed problems, and it's yay. If, if, right. Uh, I, I, you know, it makes me forget that all autistic people are, must, we must be savants. We absolutely yes. cannot, cannot simply have challenges. We must also have the subsequent superpowers that go along with all, we, hey. I'm, I'm a covert hey. X-Man is what I am. Hey, no, uh, no, we all us blind people get to be daredevil. I have amazing hearing. I can hear a mouse sneeze three houses over. I am so my hearing is so good. Raindrops landing on buildings and people and fabric suddenly make the world appear in my eye, even despite the fact that I can't see anything. So I wouldn't envision it like that anyhow. But OK. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Oh God, oh. it just, it makes me so angry. <laughs> oh yes, yes it does. I, here, I love to ask this question. So um, how do you think a fully blind person who has never had sight, was born blind, uh, what do you think they dream in? I, how would I have any reference point for that? I right. I, I, don't, ha I don't have any reference point for that any more than I expect somebody who's non-autistic to understand the fact that all of the implied communication that allistic people use doesn't right. grok to me. Well, here, I'll help you because my response to that is pick your elbow up, right? And point it at your monitor in this case. Okay. Right? What does your elbow see? I, I mean, my elbow does not have ocular e receptors. Exactly. I, I don't miss seeing out of that eye any more than you miss seeing out of your elbow. My friends that are partially blind, yeah, same thing. There's no information that goes to the brain like that. So even if somebody was to, for some reason, be able to have phenomenal hearing, you still wouldn't piece together an image like that if you were born blind and don't have that same kind of mental imagery. You don't have, you don't have the same reference point. Right. Yeah. So, that's, yeah, that God, I, I didn't realize after my autism diagnosis, how incredibly liberating mm -hmm. it would be. And I may get choked up about this. Um, like how incredibly liberating it was to, to be around people who actually got it, to not have to explain it, to not have to, um, to not have to come up with all the really wonderful metaphors I have over the, over the decades. Uh, or to not to have to like apologize for your behavior or 
to excuse your language? No, instead, there's just a lot of there. I, I found out amongst amongst the autistic people and I who get along because, you know, there's very often con- <laughs> I found there's a lot of conflicting sensory needs. Uh, right. I, I love it when people people have made the bold claim that, you know, if the, if the whole world was autistic, we would all get along. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. Here's here's how this would go. Here's how this would go. There is the country who who does not eat the textures, which shall not be named. Who go to war with the the empire which makes that sound, and mm-hmm. and, and they would fight. They would fight to the overload about sensory stuff. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. When, but when I'm around uh, my autistic friends, who you know our needs are compatible, and it's no it's no judgment when when people have needs that aren't compatible. They're just not compatible. You know, such right. is life. And, you know, you do you, I do, I do my thing, and we'll just be doing them apart. And the, what, those friends and I, when we get together, more often than not, it's us reminding each other that we don't have to apologize. Yes. That we, we don't have, it's, somebody starts to explain it, and we're like, no, 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 no. We don't, it's, yeah. It's us. We get it. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. No, we get that too. Don't yeah, have to yeah. apologize. Oh, Yeah. And, and like, uh, so again, some of my players are deaf, um, are hard of hearing. They use sign language. I wish I was far more fluent in it. I just, we're, I'm so, I was about to say lazy, but that's an inaccurate word. Uh, I'm so busy a lot of times. I don't get to, like, sit down and be in video yeah, calls you, with them. You, you are not lazy. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, and so we text, you know, a lot of our conversations and our games are in text format. So I, you know, um, but what I love is when we all are, you know, uh, in video and everything, I get to, because I have the most sight out of our group. So I get to explain to everyone else what is going on. Or, you know, we have uh, uh, one of my, who's my co-DM, she does fluent sign language. So she kind of interprets for you know, half the table, and then I have to explain visual things to the other half, you know. Um, But our language, even in our game, is so different than um, when we're we're around normal sighted or hearing people that it's, it's, and it's nothing against anyone who is normal sighted or hearing. Like, it's not like we want to purposefully exclude you it's just nice not to have to deal with explaining everything yeah you know or not have to constantly like a perfect example uh i had someone at my table who's normal sighted it was just me and my blind players by the way uh a lot of people in the blind community we just refer to ourselves as blind even if we do have some mode of sight Mm -hmm. uh just because we don't feel the need to quantify the level of blindness it's it's just understood that there's a there is a continuum right if you can if glasses or surgery improve your eyesight, then you are not legally blind and you are not part of the blind community. Those of us that can't have any improvement done and are fit the criteria, then yeah. Then we're just after that point, we're all fucking blind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we make jokes about it endlessly. <laughs> 
I think every, I mean, that's the, that's the beauty part about the in community jokes. Like, right. Ah, uh, God, I, I, I said something to, God, I said something the other day to, uh, to my significant other, uh, who it, you know, very, you know, it's just how to ADHD. She's wonderful. And I, I got to give credit where it's due. She's been instrumental in me kind of coming to terms and accepting yeah. a lot of, a lot of who I am and how I interact with the world with a lot less shame than I used to. And I ended up making this joke to her, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh god what, oh, I'm trying to remember it was so it was so perfect she couldn't stop laughing but of course she can because you know she's part of the the in crowd the the cousin the autistic and ADHD experience right. it was um oh god and now it's totally escaping me what did I say oh, it, was, oh. it was so oh yeah no there were uh, that that there are certain stereotypes about being autistic that I, I which I that I hate like people telling me oh you count everything you know 1047 times they said that <laughs> and I mean, my autistic friends <laughs> thought that was hilarious right i mean it is <laughs> but i can i can hear the people going what <laughs> or like oh can you say that yes i can yeah oh the um that is a whole other tangent for me um what the, the within group comments and the what you, and the the dominant culture saying well that's that's a double standard that we should be able to say it too no no let's yes. get into the social dynamics here let's talk about power differentials and uh, yeah. let's talk about so, how when you say it it's punching down and it's bullying uh, yes. you don't know oh the, the the one one of the things that i genuinely have such a problem with is so uh, I was talking about my group with other people and someone's like, oh, you know, would you ever consider streaming? And I said, no, uh, we had a big, long conversation before I, my name, as my name started getting out there, I said, you know, one, can I talk about our campaigns? I don't want to, I don't want to offer any information none of you are comfortable with. Um, and we agreed I can talk about the campaign or funny things with the, the uh, characters, not my players specifically. And then as I started doing more um, uh, advocacy for accessibility, then, you know, we kind of changed the rules a little bit because we all believe nothing is set in stone and I do it according. My players are 100% behind what I do and don't share. So we communicate a lot. So I was talking about the game and they're like, would you stream? And I was like, oh no, you know. And the biggest reason is one, when you are part of a particular community that shares whatever uh, disability, we do have our own language. We have our own medical terms. Yep. We have our own expressions for things. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, because we are together, we don't have to explain it to each other. And yeah. we forget that there may be other people watching or listening that don't know what we're saying. And therefore, we would have to explain it. And that kind of just breaks part of the, the problem. It, Again, I'm not blind when I'm at home by myself because my house is completely set up for me. Mm -hmm. And it's only when I come in contact with the outside world that my blindness becomes a factor. Mm -hmm. And the same is true with most people with disabilities. We, we yeah. set up our homes and our safe spaces to yep. not have to deal with the extra things in the world that normal people kind of put in our way yeah 
I mean, now we're getting into the, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, I mean, this is the, what's called the social model of disability. Yes. Where there's, the, there's a difference between just having a, a factual impairment versus that impairment becoming a disability due to environmental constraints. Um, and yeah, that's a, it's a really important distinction. Yes. And um, so I was, you know, I was saying about how, you know, this makes us have to explain to people and we have had sighted people in our game. And because I don't use visual context for a lot of the things I'm describing, I upset one of the players that we had so bad he did not know where we were or what was going on because I did not think at all to add visual cues because I you know, to me, I laid out a ton of cues already with sound, smell, uh, texture. Like, I had already laid all that out. So wh- why would I explain what you're looking at? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Right. And he, he was so confused that when we uh, when we actually went into combat, he, did, he didn't know. He, he kept asking me in a really angry way where things were. And so again, without thinking, I we use a face on a clock to describe where things are. The person nice. we're talking about is always facing noon. Okay, Re- that makes sense. Right. Regardless of where they're actually facing on a compass doesn't fucking matter. You are always facing the 12. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Something directly to your right is at three, directly to your left is at nine, you know, and so on and so forth. So then I'm using that with him because, again, this is how we do combat. So I was like, oh, they're at your 11. And he's like, what the fuck does that mean? Okay. uh, First of all, I have that. I I didn't know that was a common. Up until this moment, I didn't know that was a common concept within within the blind community. But that's commonly used in military and sports communities as well so i'm now i'm just surprised well i think i think this person was expecting was at that point was so expecting things to be different that anything i was explaining didn't didn't fit or you know when you get super frustrated that something isn't explained adequately and like directions on how to I don't know program something <laughs> do I as an autistic person know right. what it's like to feel confused no not at all right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do I ever get angry and melt down during those times oh maybe right maybe this morning right so you know I think he was he was veering towards that because none of the none of the context was presented to him in the same way that it it is in a regular D&D game. And because of that, instead of oh. like genuinely paying attention and being like, okay, oh. I understand you're giving these different cues. I think he was yeah. just getting angry and more and more angry over the fact that it wasn't, I hate to say this, wasn't presented to him his way. Because that is how the how normally it goes. Oh, yeah. somebody's 60 feet in front of you. We don't well, again. My personal experience isn't the same as everyone else's. Other blind people don't use the same terms as we do. Um, my friends are actually, uh, I, I mean, 
I don't know anyone who doesn't use the clock term, but other than that, like I don't, we don't use the words feet or inches or miles or whatever. What is least of all in combat, we huh. say how many steps you are, which still oh, translates cool. to feet. Oh, cool. Right. So if I say, you know, they, cause they're just asking how far, well, one, we don't use any visual rules in our game, obviously. Because uh-huh, uh-huh. why would we? So any spell that says, well, if you can see it, we don't do it that way. Okay, that makes sense. Right. Line of so, sight would be, that is, yeah, that's an irrelevant rule concept. Right. The other thing is, is that arguable, argument, nope, that's a word. Argument, Arguably? Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you can shoot lightning out of your hand, how come it can't go around something? So, you know. Huh. So what what you're saying is that fantasy rules may be flexible. Yes, 100%. Heresy. Yeah, I know, right? Fuck. Grognard, grognard, grognard. (laughs) So, yeah. So we don't don't do line of sight. We don't do three-quarter cover. uh, None of that applies to us. When we are... When my players want to cast a spell, I let them know if somebody's within range cool uh yeah and that's it uh so i this this person desperately wanted to like flex his you know everyone does his character's capabilities in combat and was just just lost because the terminology was so different from what he was used to that he started he started losing a mental image and uh we're blind so i don't I don't technically use like battle maps. <laughs> I do use like world maps or regional maps or whatever, but uh, because, you know, only one of my players is fully blind and they actually have a physical copy that's uh, uh, burned into leather, which is how that all happened with me burning maps into leather years <laughs> ago. Uh, so they had a something of a reversed braille version of our map. Um, but, uh, but that's it. Like, cause we don't, we don't need it. And this person was so frustrated. And at that point, we just kind of realized like, maybe we shouldn't be playing with people that this would be like the fourth fourth or fifth time that we had somebody at our table who just started getting really frustrated with asking me for visual cues. That I'm like, what? oh well, that's irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, I, that's I, 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 there's part of me that really does feel some sympathy for somebody unexpectedly feeling so disempowered. Yes. In uh, feeling so disempowered when th- they exist in a world that they can take for granted. Yes. And I, 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 I sympathize with that. And at the same time, that that ain't your cross to bear. Right. Like I, I explain to everybody who's ever at my table, especially if they um, don't have the same disabilities as me and my other players, like we have a different language. We have a different way of describing things. Um, uh, like another thing is I roll the dice for everybody. Um, we all started playing together because years and years and years ago, Um, we slowly accumulated to the group that we are now because we had such a hard time finding a group that we could play in. There's not a ton 
of blind or deaf people that play D and D. So uh, we slowly found each other and then started playing together and still tried to bring other people in. Um, but when we did, unfortunately, we had, especially at one point, <laughs> we had a uh, a um, a very enthusiastic player at the table. <laughs> lack of a better word that would <laughs> Love the cheer diplomacy. yeah <laughs> well because i understand in a normal sighted game yeah you cheer or or like oh you know when somebody rolls a 20 yeah. or a one yeah but when you're at a table of blind people you cheering or booing or making noises before we get to know what's on our die just rips our enthusiasm oh out God. from under us yeah, no, I totally would have been guilty of that. Wow, right. thank you. Most people are, you know, which again, which is why I was like enthusiasm. Like we totally understand, but then it just kind of steals our thunder. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so everyone knowing what you roll before you do is super frustrating. Wow, okay, right. see, I'm, I'm learning so much. Right? <laughs> so we started... Um, so I, I started to take that factor off. Plus, um, as rules changed and everything else, one, um, a lot of websites are not compatible or not accessibility friendly. Um, they're not compatible with our readers, getting new modules or supplements, hoping that the PDF fucking works for their reader. It just started getting right. to the point of like... Oh, it, it was anyone's guess if we could play any supplement or module. So I said, well, we don't have to worry about that. I I, I am the forever GM in this particular play uh, game. I'm the one who has the most sight. I still have a reader that I know works with the, most of the PDFs and stuff that I get. I'll be the one to run them. And I'll use like, you know, um, like D&D Beyond, which I do love. Mm -hmm. Uh to uh, roll everyone's dice so I can keep, you know, tabs on everyone's sheet without going crazy. And um, uh, I will just roll for everybody. And the great thing is, is that it took the... I no longer tell them what they roll. Like, they can look later on if they want. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, yeah, the word look, because, again, we understand metaphor. Uh, I mean, like, their reader can tell them. <laughs> people um before someone's like you said look I'm like, you know fucking whatever um well, it's, it, that god i get that right there there's just language that if we listen we can yes it's picking our battles like the able ableist language is so inundated into our day-to-day -day yes existence and i God bless my friends and actually some of our mutual friends who are so diligent and mm -hmm. so, so good at removing all shreds of ableist language from their plate. And you know what? That is something we all, we, we should aspire to do and yes. we should be better, try and be better day after day after day to be as inclusive as possible. And also we go, we, we go make mistakes. We are yes. going to. And also, guess what? Some of us also have our preferences. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I, uh, 
if somebody if somebody turns around and says look to me i i don't assume that they actually expect me to magically see <laughs> like i don't think that they're trying to cure me so oddly enough i think that they mean hey i'm talking to you <laughs> unless they're actually holding up something <laughs> then I'm going to assume like, then, oh, then there's, okay. there's a bit of a problem there. Yes. Right. Just a tad. You know, you need to be within four to five feet of me for me to even tell that the, that blob in your hand is something. So that's fine. <laughs> but I mean, <sighs> you know, yeah, but we do. We use we use the same English everyone else does. Well, OK, one of us doesn't. <laughs> that's not their first language, but that's not the point. Um <laughs> We do. It, so we understand that the word look and see and everything else it doesn't actually mean the physical looking at something with our eyes. Um, but yeah, so my players can go have their reader read the numbers to them if they wanted. Mm -hmm. um, we also keep those for statistic reasons because we just have a lot of fun with those numbers. Um, but I, I just tell them the actions that happen. And not only does this kind of like really keep us in the the immersive storytelling mode that we love so much, um, because believe it or not, we're we're all uh, theater kids, or I am specifically <laughs> theater adjacent. <laughs> and all right, shocker, right? I'm <laughs> shocked. Who knew? Who knew? Bunch of kids. Uh, <laughs> although uh, uh, <laughs> the last time I well, not the last time, the uh, one of the a short time ago when I said that to somebody they're like really and I was like yeah I was, I was like ha ha you know get it tabletop we're theater adjacent and they're like no I'm just kind of surprised that, that blind people would be in theater oh sweet my god right. by the way listeners dumb d don't not dumb what the hell don't <laughs> say that what no, I for some reason. I was like, sweet word, mother of God? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I like, I oh, said, God. I, I offended. Right. No, no, no. I went to say, listeners, don't say that. And for some reason, I went, done. Dun, 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 dun. And I was like, done? done? No, I'm done with it. No. <laughs> um, yeah, don't, don't. Listen, even if you are surprised, here's a hint don't say it. <laughs> Just don't say it. And, and if we notice that you have a surprised look on your face or a perplexed one and we ask why please still don't say it I, I can't tell you I understand I may be the only partially blind person or, or blind at all person that you come in contact with but the level of ignorance that some of y'all display to me on a regular basis that you have never, ever remotely thought or watched a movie about or a documentary or read a pamphlet for that matter on being visually impaired and or blind is astounding. Please don't. You know. well, and, more, and more so than that, it's coming at the expense of something else. You know, one of the one, yes. actually one of the examples I often cite when I talk to people about uh, um, basically a, a servant leadership uh, perspective on things mm -hmm. and the idea of 
you know, treat it, you treat your people well, and they will treat you well. Yes. There is a company in Seattle that has existed for 65 years now, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they are, it's a burger chain. It's a fast food burger chain. And if you ever come to Seattle and someone says, I'm going to go eat a bag of dicks, this is what they're probably referring to. I don't know. Seattle's pretty gay. But um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> the, the, it, this is Dick's Drive-In. And um. if, if you go to Dick's Drive-In and you order the Dick's Deluxe, which is, they're, they're, this is like our version of In-N-Out, except you can't make any substitutions. And the okay. Dick's Deluxe is $5.30. Okay. You can get it, Dick for five bucks somewhere? Oh, you can get Dick for cheaper than that. Wow, that is yeah, amazing. Yeah, no, you can. The, a plain hamburger is two two fifty five, or excuse me, two forty five. You can Look. get dick for under two fifty. That is that that's fucking amazing. Now, if you want fries, that's extra. But um, of course, yeah, no, it, of it, course. So a Dick's Deluxe is you know their flagship hamburger, and you know it sells for it's the most expensive thing on on their menu, and it's five dollars and thirty cents. Now, I want to contrast that with the fact that their employment policies are this. Their burger slingers start at 20 an hour. Good. They make up to $25 an hour. Also, all of their employees get medical and dental. It is 100% employer paid. Children are covered at 75%. It spouses at 50%. They offer child care assistance to their employees, $28,000 scholarships, employee assistance programs, uh, transport car, uh, you know, for public transportation in the Seattle area, 401k, um, raises and bonuses, and you get paid for community services. This is a fast food restaurant that charges no yes. more than $5.30 per burger. If people want to tell me that it can't be done to treat employees oh. with respect and decency and still be sustainable, Dick's has been around for 65 years. Dick's will prove you wrong. And it, it now, it, if we want to get into the idea, is $20, is $25 an hour a livable wage in Seattle? It is not. But that is a different issue. Um, yeah, that is a very different issue. Um, yeah. But... The, the fact is that they're offering pretty, you know, they're offering medical and dental and right. and scholarship, and they like to promote from within. And it, it it boggles the mind how many people say this can't be do this is not doable. No, it's not doable if your if your whole job and your whole idea is to maximize short term profits at any expense, yes, um, including the human expense. But if you want a sustainable company, there's a lot of evidence out there to say, Here, here's how you can do it. And I'm excited to be able to, to give that a try and hopefully yeah. help people advance their careers in the process. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, one of the reasons I uh, am doing this podcast and why I immediately set up a um, Patreon is because my hope is so not only do I want to talk to veterans of our uh, community, but I want to bring in new artists, people that are virtually unknown or that are, you know, up, you know, up and coming. And I would love to be able to earn enough that I would be able to put, um, you know, like subscribe to their Patreons as well. And, you know, put money back into the community because again, uh, 
I can't pay it back, so I want to pay it forward as much as possible. Yeah. I have this I have this great platform and the hilarious thing is I can't <laughs> I can't uh show a lot of the art that I do, so a lot of times it looks like I'm not doing anything. <laughs> NDA. NDA. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I I need to do something that I can like, hey, look, I'm I'm putting out something that I can share without it me trying to fit in another project on my quote unquote off time. Because let me tell you, Boulder's Gate 3 is my newest obsession and I need time to play. <laughs> I can't be drawing maps on top of maps when I've got Boulder's Gate 3 to play. The fuck? Okay, okay so. Okay, here's the deal with Baldur's Gate 3, all right. Okay. Um, I, I, was, I, I was given a copy very generously by our mutual friend, Tanya, uh, mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm, I'm technically part of her stream team, and she was given promotional copies by Larian. Uh, thank you, Larian, nice. for that kindness. I have yet to play it. <gasps> because, oh. okay, because, oh my God. Um, I had a book deadline. Yeah, and I know. I had a book deadline, and also it turns out I ran out of space on my hard drive. Oh. And I had to order a new hard drive, but my computer's so old that the hard drives I got weren't compatible, which means I need to get a new computer. Oh, no. <laughs> See now. Uh, I... I I'm so thankful that I have a long uh, history of, of working with impossibly large files on computers. It's so funny. Uh, I have uh, a fantastic computer to begin with, uh, as well as a solid state drive um, and three external uh, couple of terabyte drives that house all of my art. <laughs> also, in case anything ever happens, I can grab those and run and not worry about <laughs> losing all of my artwork. And thank you, Backblaze, for uh, backing up my computer all the time. Great, great idea to work with. Anytime I need, I get a new computer, I can just download my previous files and I don't lose a fucking thing. Also, they don't sponsor me, but they should. But you know who does sponsor me is Legend Keeper. And I don't have a spiel for them yet, I but like, I will soon. Like Legend Keeper. It <gasps> sounds like this is a map thing, isn't it? No, no. Actually, you'd probably love Legend Keeper. You'll get lost for a little bit. Hey, what's up, world building app? Yes. How? Do, okay, okay. I've used some others in the past, and I found the 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 learning curve to be oh. so steep. Let me let me explain how I came across Legend Keeper and why why they are now a full sponsor of this show. So uh, my DM wanted to play a, a game in which we were actually playing a wild mount and to set everything up so we could see the maps and blah blah blah, and also so it was compatible with my reader. He introduced me to Legend Keeper, and I was like, "Oh, this is great!" And then I was tinkering with it, and I it is so simple it is as simple as using a word document really? um yes and you can make it complex to whatever degree you want from there there are templates that other people build that you just literally copy and paste into your own campaign 
and fill out the information so you don't have to worry about knowing how to code anything or how to write it or even HTML. Literally, it's like using a Word document. The maps are interactive. You can drop pins on it. There's automatic linking to things when you start typing what? out. Oh, yeah, it is. It is so much fun. Uh, you can you can again make the world building as complex as you want you can make timelines calendars oh link to everything God. pictures oh it is so much fun <gasps> and so manageable oh my god yeah can i i mean like if i pay for if I, this is not a commercial this is legitimate interest folks um oh, yeah. <laughs> this is this is this is starting to sound like an 80s infomercial of it like, does and it, i don't mean it like that but that hey. i literally have done this every i don't mean to i've done this every single podcast uh episode. if i wanted to share my world with uh -huh. my players uh, -huh. uh can i do that yes you can what so, Oh my right? goodness. And to whatever degree you want, you can make them editors of individual pages. You can make it so they just see it. Oh, that's freaking cool. Oh, and even better, they have little... I'm so excited. I'm, can you tell? I'm ridiculously excited. I'm looking um, at the features of this right now, and I'm getting excited because, oh my god. They have I tend secrets. To, I, I don't use most pre-built modules because of my working memory and processing speed issues. Yes. I can't both run the game and read content at the same time. So I've gotten very good at just doing things on the fly with a little mm -hmm. bit of information. What I love is um, they have, there's two, well, technically, there's three functions that they have that I absolutely love as uh, the way that I run games. And the first one is, is that there's a thing called secrets and on any page, you can add a secret that only the DIA or only the admin can read. What? So, yeah. So even if someone else has the ability to see it, they can't see the DM, the secrets. Oh my God. And I can upload a nearly, I can upload up to a hundred megabyte map. Yes. Oh, this is oh. so cool. And let me tell you, your pins, okay? Okay. Your pins can be fully detailed. You can change the icons, change the names. The pins can link to specific articles. I'm so, like, so into this. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I am so into this. Yay. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to sign up for this. I think my players are going to go ballistic over this. I, I, I love it. Um, I'm actually working on... Um, building things for that I use in my own games and everything put them in it but also you can share it publicly so like let's say that you're building a world that I don't know you're writing a novel for or that you're playing in your campaign oh or you're streaming and it's oh, a yeah, homebrewed world for APs. yeah oh, oh yeah cool. invite invite other people to just read over your world my my players are just chomping at the the bit to do um so in the world that we play in, mm -hmm. we have a three um, major um, like libraries that are um, collect information. Uh, my players are currently on a, a knowledge quest at this moment, trying to solve a particular uh, uh, riddle issue, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, so they're accumulating the books. Now, I, of course, have the best note taker 
in all the world <laughs> as one of my players. Uh, they have kept notes over every single book title and a short description on everything they've ever read over all of our campaigns because we play in the same world that we want to transfer over into a full functioning library. So I get to transfer all of the books that I have and then I just click a button and they'll be able to see the new book as they come across it in the library. I am, yeah, I am, you may have sold me on this. <laughs> right? How fucking fun is that? Oh, this is amazing. Oh, yeah. I love it. On oh, a side I'm note. super into it. We are making a, um, I, I'm asking everyone if, it doesn't have to be right now because everyone's got, you know, time constraints going on, but I am asking everyone who comes on the podcast if they would like to contribute to the world that we're going to be building specifically on oh. Legend Keeper. It could be a, a simple, something as simple as renaming uh, um, an establishment after whatever you want, your favorite character, you for that matter, <laughs> um, a self-insert character. You could, you know, yeah. You could develop an entire town, an entire city. If you want a continent, I'll draw the map for it. You're like, yeah. I, you know... I think I want to, I may want to contribute the favoritest location from my, from my homebrew. Perfect. And that is the kingdom of... <laughs> well, here's the great thing. <laughs> if you put the kingdom of... <laughs> on Legend Keeper... <laughs> And I have the ability to see it. I can copy it to my legend keeper, and you oh don't have god. to do a thing. Oh my god! I'm totally going to do that. And uh, to people who may be wa lis uh, listening to this and going, "What the what the hell was that?" Let me let me tell you how that happened. <laughs> um, I used to run. Yeah, I don't do this directly anymore. I teach people how to do this, but I used to run uh, therapeutically applied role playing groups uh, and social skills role playing groups for folks. And I, I largely had to improvise things on the fly with the teenagers I, I worked with. And at one point, I, I hadn't thought about the name for the kingdom we were in. And somebody asked a very reasonable question. What is the name of the kingdom we were in? And I looked at them just with absolute seriousness and just said, it's the kingdom of... <laughs> And they were like, what did you say? And at that point, I can't go back on it. I'm like, I said what I said. Right. And the rest of the kids are like, you're, you're rolling with this, are you? And I said, I, yes. Yet, yep. Yes, I am. I am. I stand by it. How? And they said, how is that spelled? And I said, a lot of consonants. A uh, lot of H's and R's and G's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and F's. Who, who runs the kingdom of uh, that's king bob and yep. I, I they just they went with it and what really quickly happened is that king bob morphed into some weird amalgamation of the short king of hearts from alice in wonderland the disney version and william j lapetamain from blazing saddles And Which we won't repeat any of his lines here. <laughs> it well, it's the general vibe that yeah. he is completely clueless 
and whimsical in his demands. And because he has absolute authority, people go through with the demands. And at this point, the kingdom has been renamed so many times. The repainting of the signs for the kingdom name is a running joke. That's like, I I have a whole uh, village of um, uh, Kinku, whose all their names and everything are sounds. So, like, my my character was Tick Tick Tick. Because she was an artificer, 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 Jesus, artificer, I can say the word. Um, (laughs) I leave this stuff in. I don't, people can know I stumble over words. It fucking happens. (laughs) Anyhow, artificer. um, And because of it, that's the sound she makes when she's making things. So tick, tick, tick. Oh my God. I love it. Right. So, you know, all of them have these sounds of like what they do. And it's so... Uh, hilarious because a lot of the things that my kinkus repeat are sounds because if you're in a village of kinkus and they only repeat what each other hears well then they're just hearing everybody working and not really talking so uh, you know a lot of the things that she repeated or one of my characters repeated was literally just new things or she would just make noises when describing things so you know if she was describing somebody being uh coming on a horse you know coming through the village or whatever on a horse she would make the sounds of a horse clopping and instead of like you know and that was her way of explaining and then she would like as in the person's talking (laughs) you know and she would just repeat these things and it took it. it took one of my friends quite a quite a bit to like grasp what was going on but it was so funny god i love this so much (laughs) yeah so that kangoo village is actually going to be in in the world that we're building as well because i can't not and i just um i just love it because my i will be adding this to the world that i also play in with my players and um and they're listening because they listen to my podcast hoping to get clues on our game um but they already know about this one because they asked for it by request when I told them about it. So uh, they're dying to go to the Kinku village of sound. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> so, uh, before we end this, I ask everybody, uh, what, you know, what would they like to manifest in the universe? What, what would they like to see happen for themselves because you never know who's listening like who would you want to work with what would you like to do what projects would you like to see come to your your desk your email your whatever uh in hopefully the near future i would love to do more video writing and on-camera hosting for for mental health information We've done a little bit of that at Take This, but right now, um, like a lot of nonprofits, uh, we are small and we are constantly struggling for funding and that often takes priority. The urgent stuff takes priority over the stuff that's more long-term. And I, you know, as I said before, I, I just want to get good mental health information out there to people for free. And uh, I am, I am an absolute ham on camera. 
and I, I, I know I can be entertaining, especially looking at this last one we did. Oh my God, there were some, there are some jokes that just work. And I would <laughs> love to work with folks to make that happen, to get good information out there to people for free. I would love to work with you. I'd love to help write it. I would love to be the performer for that because again, I am an absolute ham. I am You almost a, became an actor. I Well, I'm basically a walking cartoon character. I like to joke that I learned to socialize because of Jim Carrey, Buster Keaton, Mel Brooks, Abbott and Costello, and Bugs Bunny. I mean, yeah, I I was raised by a wild pack of drag queens, so that's my socializing. <laughs> so yeah, I I that's what I would love to do. I would you know if if you have a platform, if you if you have a production studio, and you've thought about doing mental health stuff for your community whether it's you know interstitials or it's just little segments or it's more long form stuff reach out